Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by the South's first lady of fly fishing, Wanda Taylor. Wanda shares her fly fishing journey, folks who've met her along the way, and details of her upcoming 70-day cross-country fishing adventure. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And a shout out to this episode's sponsor, our friends at Tuckaseegee Fly Shop. With locations in Bryson City and Silva, the folks at Tuck Fly Shop can take care of all of your Western North Carolina fly fishing needs. Check them out today at www.tuckflyshop.com. Now, on to the interview. Well, Wanda, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Well, thanks, Marvin. I've looked forward to it for a while. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We always ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Well, the earliest I can remember was I was four years old, and I have uh, two grandmothers that fish, and I was about even with my grandmother's knees, and she wore these heavy stockings, and she was digging some worms out and putting them in a soup can for me. And um, so she said, uh, I think I'm going to take you down to the creek and teach you how to fish. And I went, okay. So we get down there, and she puts a worm on and puts me on a can. She says, now, when you catch something, you know, drag it back up to the farmhouse, and we'll cook it for Papa for lunch. My, my grandfather was blind with uh, glaucoma, and so I thought I was doing something magic. But basically, I found out later that I was pretty uh, aggressive with, can I help you? Can you show me, can I show you how to cook? Can I, you know, blah, blah, blah driving my grandmother's crazy. So they did that just to get me out of the house. But I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And when did you uh, move to the dark side of fly fishing? The dark side? Uh, in my adult life, it was uh, middle 80s, maybe, when I you know, really saw a first fly fisher. The sky was dating. He said, you like fish? I said, yeah, I love fish. And so we go to the river for a date, and he brings out this, willowy thing and start swinging it around i said what are you doing he said i'm fly fishing and i said why so that was my first exposure to that and um i said i think i could catch more fish than you you know using my corn and my worm which was interesting but you know i moved along once i understood what was happening and got drawn into the industry that which uh happens sometimes when you're around a bunch of fish heads <laughs> fair fair enough. I mean, did you just kind of naturally happen or did you just have a moment one day where you're like, you know, this is more than fun. I want to basically make this part of my career. No, it was, I call it a hobby that's gone like way bad. Um, I never expected to do a full-time career. I had no idea how far this would take me around the world and back. Uh, it's just something that I enjoyed and I loved and I love sharing it with other people, especially those who came up through the ranks like I did, but knowing zero, you know, and how to become a hero. So I guess that's, that's where I'm standing because it's, it's difficult when you weren't raised in a fly fishing family uh, to understand all the terms and, you know, the entomology and all that kind of stuff. So I try to make it as simple as possible. So it, it's easy and fun, not hard. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting too because, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, I fished, but, I mean, there wasn't a fly shop probably within – 400 miles of where I grew up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, of course, I grew up on the farm and didn't know anything about fly fishing. We just, well, everything we shot or caught or harvested, we ate. 
and that's just the way farm kids were raised. So the, this catch and release thing that Lee Wolf established was you know, a whole new ballgame for me. Uh, but as a conservationist now, I've matured into those things. I totally get it. It's a different time. Yeah. It's a totally different time. Yeah, I would imagine for you, probably the closest fly shop was probably in Atlanta or maybe Knoxville. <laughs> I have no idea. I, probably Atlanta, maybe. Yeah. Because uh, I think Knoxville came along about the same time Chattanooga did when you know, the fly shops were developing in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and they're, most of them are still there successfully if they you know, treat it as a business, not just a hobby. But, you know, it's lasting. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting, right? Because you, you have to be into casting to fly fish, but, you know, you've made it a really kind of central part of, you know, what you do in the sport and, you know, what attracted you to it? Catching fish. You know, once I saw how it was more effective than what I was doing, I mean, I had a click in my head. And plus, you know, with conventional tackle, you're not connected with that wild thing like you are with fly fishing. Um, I, I rarely use a reel unless it's a tarpon or big dorado that puts himself on the reel. I like to know that I'm connected just for those slight seconds or minutes. That's what I live for, is being connected with that before we release it. I never experienced that before. Yeah, very neat. And when did the you know education component become so prominent in your angling life? Well, um, we have an Orvis endorsed outfitting business called Dry Flyer Outfitters. And so when you work for Orvis, they act, you know, want you to put on school with your guys and that kind of thing. When we did, and after that River Ran Over Us movie came out, we had this overload of families and was coming. And so they asked me to come in. They said, would you join us? Because I think the women would feel more comfortable if you were here explaining some of this than just all guys, all guys, all guys. And I said, okay. So I did. And found out that later it was the men who benefited from it because not all guys have male egos, but some have male egos. And they don't want to ask a question in public that the whole world thinks that they should already know because you guys have a bad, I mean, from birth, everybody expects you guys to know all things about sports. Fortunately, we women aren't expected to know all that. So at the, you know, the water break or the coffee break, they'd come over and talk to me privately and they'd say, so... What did he mean about that mending the line? You know, and I would quietly explain it. And so, at the end of the day, I think, guys, the women, we're not, we're not afraid to ask a question because we're not expected to know it. And so, we just ask it. But I said, I think the men in this room are going to another level of understanding just because they feel uncomfortable asking another guy something. So, it was interesting. That's how I, you know, I end up in education. But I realized I was, I was, I was lacking, so I, you know, I sought out a bunch of people to help me, you know, become a better educator. Yeah, speaking of, and I know that's a really, you know, when people make that movement into mentoring and education, you know, they're lucky to have uh, people that have invested in them, so they can invest in other people. And I was really curious to, to hear about some of the folks that mentored you on your journey and what they taught you. Right. Well, my first one was Joan Wolf, and. I hadn't actually met her. I had her on a VHS, you know, tape that I plugged in, and I would watch her teaching skills. And I go out in the yard, practice them, and I freeze frame it, and come back in, watch it, and, and try to practice. So she's been teaching me since the late '80s, but she didn't know it. 
So when I found out they had this certification program for instructors in fly fishing, I was all over that. I'm thinking that's exactly what I need, you know, to become a better instructor. So I called her office and was enrolled in one of her classes. And um, she was so delightful. I mean, when I arrived, but she had all the students in this room. And she would call their name, like, you know, calling a roll on a, you know, in, in the first grade. And you're supposed to hear or whatever. And so she called my name and she said, Wanda Taylor, why are you here? I mean, she knew I was already in the industry, but she didn't know really why I was there. And I said, well, John, in one of your books that you wrote that Lee was going to teach you how to fly an airplane. And he was trying to instruct you and you got up in the air and it was a disaster and you both got upset with each other, and you decided when you got down on the ground, you are going to hire yourself an instructor, and you learned to fly and became a pilot. She said, say no more. I know why you're here. It was precious. It was absolutely precious. So that's the way it started, and, and I was hoping sometime during that week I could ask her, because she was on the board of the Federation of Fly Fishers at that time, that's what it was called, um, I, she was qualified to give me the exam. And so she said, well, if I have enough energy after the school, uh, but I do have a private class before you, the guy who owns Tiffany's in New York. And Lee had died maybe three or four months before this. And uh, she said, I think he's hitting on me, but I've got to walk through this. And after that, if you can wait. And I said, well, okay. So I did. I waited. But I missed my flight back home. I'm thinking, I'm just throwing the dice out here. If, if she can do it, by golly, I'll wait till tomorrow. And... um she was able to sit down with me and she picked up the exam and, and laid it down and said, okay, teach me something. And that's when the, that's when the headlights hit Bambi. And I thought, I can't teach John Wolf anything. I mean, seriously, it, the exam at that time was different than it is now. Uh, it was about a, a, a written a written performance a written test and then a performance test. And that was it. There was no verbal teaching skills at that time. It's evolved into something more wonderful than you could ever imagine. Um, so she said, I said, well, I'm kind of nervous. And she said, listen, I put my pants on one leg at a time just like you do every day. Now teach me something. Teach me a roll test. And so I did. We proceeded through the whole genre of performance things we had to do. But that's when I learned that my weakness was verbal transferring what I know how to do into teaching someone how to do it. And that was the beginning of how my teaching experience changed because I'd been through the Orvis world and we did it by the book. Whatever Orvis had the book is what we did. But it doesn't work for everybody. You know, everybody's different. So I carry that with me all the time. She's, she's just a magnificent woman. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. That was, I went to her school... I don't know, probably three or four years um, after I started fly fishing because I was at that place where I wasn't putting the fly where I wanted it to be and I knew where the fish were. Exactly, exactly. Right, and and so that was, um, it was pretty amazing. I got to meet some great people, you know, Sheila Hassan, Dave Brandt, um, Uh you know, just a, but it was really, it was a, that was a, probably the first experience for me. And it's just a gorgeous, like her campus where she lives oh, yeah. and then the little bed and breakfast that's there that you stay in when you go to the school. It's all just such an amazing place. The Baton Kill Inn. Yes. yes, it is. It's wonderful. I met some wonderful people there. But after this, after she finished the exam, she invited me up to her home. 
and uh, so we walked up there, and, and uh, we walked into the living room, and I, would, I it just took my breath away. She had uh, a lot of Lee's artifacts from all his, his travels and the movies that he did, um, outdoor sports, and um, there was two elephant tusks on a table that reached all the way to the ceiling in their living room. It was, it was breathtaking. And so she said, I know, I've got all this stuff of leaves, and I'm not really sure what to do with it. And she took me around the room and showed me a lot of his original artwork that he, I didn't realize that he, uh, before he became an American sportsman star, he uh, had gone to France and was an artist. And so she showed me a lot of his work, which was breathtaking. And then she opened this door, like going down to a wine cellar, and it was dark, and <laughs> she's just going down. I said, no, you go first. So she turned on the lights, and we got down there into the bottom, and there were these reels and reels and reels, about the size of hula hoops, of all of his travels with American Sportsman and shows that he had done. And she said, this is what I'm dealing with since he's he passed. And I said, you know, you know, you may think this is strange, but I've, I've been praying for you lately, and I didn't really know why. But I said, now I know why, because this is overwhelming, and and fortunately, um, he had been a friend of a producer friend of mine. His name's Jeff Peel, who was a senior producer on ABC 2020. And I've done a couple of videos with him. And so Jeff has taken on this whole unbelievable role of transferring those huge films into DVDs or digital books. I'm not sure how they're going to present it, but it's coming out this year. And photo, the director of the photography, Bob Hanna, is actually one of my neighbors here in Dalton, Georgia. So it's just kind of a unique thing that all of this, after all those years, you know, because this was 91, and here we are in 2021, and it's finally going to be available for all of us to see all, all the things that Lee had developed, like, the, you know, the fly fishing vest, and he was the first one to say, you know, the fish is more valuable, sporting fish is to be caught only one time. You need to catch it many times. And so he, he is the father of conservation. And because of that, I think it's changed. He changed the world. And I'm so glad that they're preserving that. And hopefully soon we'll be able to either purchase it or download it. I don't know what we're going to fix, how they're going to actually present it. But that's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I know Lefty was an important uh, person in your life as well. Yeah. I met Lefty about the same time that I, that I did Joan in the late 80s, but it was a strange meeting. We were in Chattanooga. Um, he, uh, was, he was invited there by four or five doctors to give him private schools, and they shared him with us at the fly shop that afternoon to do a, um, a casting demo. And there's probably 80 or 90 of us on the side of a street, and he had a little piece of grass, and he asked for a volunteer to come out. Well, nobody volunteered. And all of a sudden, someone behind me pushed me in front of his face. Here I am looking at, hello. He says, I'm Leslie Cray. What's your name? <laughs> Wanda Taylor. He says, well, Wanda, I'm going to try to, I'm going to, I'm going to cast with you. I don't want you to try to cast, but I'm going to cast with you and um, show you how the, the back cast of the forward cast goes. And I went, okay. Well, previous to that, like several months before that, I'd had a women's only fly fishing class at Choo Choo Blind Tackle. And I thought, I don't know this dude from Adam. And I mean, I've had a fly cast in school. I'm a graduate. And so when he did the cast, I tried to help him. 
and it didn't go, I don't know, 30 feet, 40 feet. And he threw the rod down, and he addresses the crowd like he always does. Like, you know, I can teach any woman to fly or fly cast as long as I'm not married to her. And he said, this one may be the exception. And, that, of course, then I was blood red. I, I wish there was a hole in the middle of the ground I would have dropped in it. But uh, that that was our first meeting. Fortunately, afterwards, over the years, we became friends. And in the 90s, we were having a FFF conclave in Gatlinburg, and, and uh, Leslie was one of the guest speakers. And so I just wrote him a letter, and I said, I'd like to invite you to splice this with us on the Hawassi River with dry fire outfitters. And he accepted. And so we picked him up at the airport, and uh, that next morning, it it looked like one of the worst winters you could possibly have. And I invited our guide staff to meet meet Leslie with breakfast, and he was enamored with this small town. It was like one red light bit in Tennessee. It was a little mom-and-pop restaurant, and um, he loved it because they cooked his bacon crispy, and the cash register was a cigar box. And so we all loaded up and headed to the river after that and watching the radar as, when we got there, and we saw that there was a, a huge window of maybe four hours that was clear that we could all launch and fish and other people found out he was there, and they wanted to float with Lefty. It, it became a wonderful, it was like uh, one of those fantastic things that happened with Woodstock, where people just know someone said, it's going to go home, it's good. They just all show up. So we got halfway down, and the, the patches of caddis were amazing. And he taught me the first time that I, I didn't know anything about skittering. He taught me how to skitter the, the fly, and it just turned the fish on. And... Um, so started around a bend in the Hawassi River, and, and all of a sudden, here's this black, ominous cloud, and it deluged on us. I'm, I mean, I can't tell you how much water was happening. Lefty was dumping water out of the back. I was dumping it out of the front, and the guide was rowing like a banshee, you know, to get us out of there. And so when we got to the parking lot, I got out of the boat, and the parking lot water was above my knees in the parking lot. So, uh, right after that, we had to dry out and drive on to Gatlinburg. So, we stopped at a place to have coffee. And he said, um, I got to confess to you. He said, I've been in a lot of unsafe places and, and and things that I wasn't comfortable with. But this may be the only time I thought I was going to die. <laughs> and I thought, oh, right. Yeah. And he's written his memoirs at that time. He'd already started write, writing them. This is the 90s. He thought, you know, who knows how long you're going to live. I said, all right, so Wanda Taylor is going down as the person who almost killed me. Not the person that did something wonderful. <laughs> almost let me drown. <laughs> so that was one of the first of our, our many fishing adventures. We he was, He's been so kind over the years to share his carp water and introduce me to Bob Clouser for smallmouth on the Susquehanna and Quashos, and we wrote back and forth. And, um, and Unfortunately, in the late 90s, I, just, I had a burnout. I, I was so disappointed in, in some of the industry owners that were starting to put the, the product uh, before the people. And so I was just ready to walk away. And, I, and I, for some reason, I wrote him a letter. He likes to write. I like to write letters. And uh, instead of writing me back, he picks up the phone and he says, Wanda, it's Lefty. You know? And I thought it was a joke. And I said, right, who is this? And he said, can you afford a plane ticket to come to Maryland to visit me for a few days? And I went, in my head, I'm knowing I have no money. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And he said, well, I want you to come up and visit Ev and me. And I have some, you know, some things I want to talk to you about. 
So we worked out the time and the date, and uh, his main thing for the weekend was diversification. That was a whole new word for me because I put all of my eggs in one basket with one company. And he taught me to become an outdoor writer. Then we had a session on outdoor photography. And then he opened up all the other companies in our industry that I didn't even know existed because I had always been in this one company. So he showed me how to create a slideshow and give a presentation to the club. And I never had anybody to you know, show me and take the time to how this is developed and how you can continue having income by doing, you know, diversifying, diversifying your, what you do. So after two days, I left so encouraged. I mean, I could have flown home myself, by myself. Um, but he doesn't do that just for me. He's done it for hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of other people. And it was just icing on the cake that he happened to be my casting mentor. And I'll never get over it. He, he did everything by example. And so he taught us how to do the same by sharing himself. He taught us how to share ourselves with others. And that's the most, one of the most valuable things I think anybody can have in the world. And, and I also know, Wanda, that you've got a special relationship with Jake Jordan as well. Yeah, I, I met Jake in the early 90s. We were in Chicago, probably the only fly fishing show that Chicago had on the waterfront. It was a beautiful facility, but for some reason it wasn't really well attended. But uh, his booth was next to my booth. He, he was there selling tarpon trips, and I was there selling redfish trips for uh Braze Island Plantation in Beaufort, South Carolina. And so he told me his stories. And when I was sharing stories, we invited each other to come fish with us. And so I went to visit him in Marathon. He came to Beaufort. And, you know, before I knew it, he was inviting me to join other things that he did. And so in the late 90s, he um, found out that I'd, I'd lost my dad. And uh, he called me up and he said, hey, hey, I need I need another instructor for the bonefish school in Exuma. Um, and you'd be teaching with Steve Ray Jeff. In my head, I'm going, he's got to be kidding me. You know, the world champion caster of the world, and Jake Jordan, who catches more, you know, saltwater fish than anybody in the world, and, and me. Okay. I went, sure, I'll, I'll be a band of white for you guys. I don't really know what else you want me to do. But uh, after he taught the school, it was I learned so much from listening to him and, and to Steve. Uh, he had to leave. He he went back to uh, Marathon. He was meeting the, the uh, fishing editor at that time, Jerry Gibbs from Outdoor Life. And um, they they were going to do this great story on Big Mo the Hammerhead. And um, that ki- that guy was 18 feet long, 1,000 pounds, and his eyeball was the size of a baseball. So they they were on a manhunt. And he said, you guys are going to handle this. You know, the students will be with the guys and just entertain it. We went, okay. So when we got the sports out every day, um, Steve and I had nothing to do. So he says, you want to you wanna take a skip out and, and fish? And I went, yeah, that sounds wonderful. So we did. And I got to hear some you know, some really great stories about his, you know, being brought up uh, in the fly fishing world out in California. And, uh, and so I shared some things. And I said, well, while we're out here, I said, would you mind looking at my cast? I thought, I'll never have a moment like this ever again with Steve Ray Dick. And he says, sure. Yeah, so so I threw a few out there. And uh, he's, he was so gentleman-like. He said, uh, well, Wanda, it looks like at one time or another in your life that you had a problem with a tailing loop. And 
it's almost like, you, you know, your guiltiest moment came out and you didn't think anybody else in the world could do that. And I said, well, how can you tell? Are you a Houdini or something? And he, he said, no, after you finish your forward stop, you pull your elbow back in in order to lower the tip of the rod so the fly line will travel safe instead of tailing. And I said, well, that's the only way I knew how to fix it. And so he explained to me, which I'm learning more verbal ways to explain this to others who are going from intermediate to advanced casting, is once you do that stop, he called it continue, meaning like a a javelin, a javelin when you're, you're jousting with each other and it's a ha, and you stab. And so he said, stab and continue. With that stab, what that causes is a thumb to turn over and lower the rod tip slightly so the fly line will travel on its path. It was epitome for me, and it's changed the way I look at casting for, you know, for anything. This is the people who over try to overcast the rod, and you know they can't control it. And I'll forever be grateful. So, back to Jake. I mean, our friendship has been over thirty years, and he's introduced me to some of the greats in the industry and outrageous saltwater species like bonefish, and albacore, and big tarpon, and sailfish, blue marlin, and Shortbill spearfish resulted in my first women's world record. I mean, he, he taught me so much on how to fight big fish, and that was my biggest fear, going from trout to redfish. To me, that was a big fish. But he took me from that, you know, to tarpon fishing at night. And at night, you get so many opportunities to catch those huge fish and how to fight them that the fear goes away. So I'll forever be grateful for him for that. He's just a, he's just a natural teacher and I call him the, the dream maker today. He's, he's down in marathon now at his age, which is, you know, plus something and still doing the same thing he loves to do. And I hope that, that I'm continuing to do the same thing. He sees an encouragement to me. Yeah, it's very neat. It's amazing. I had him on the podcast a few months ago and I mean, uh, we ended up breaking the interview up into two pieces because there was so much there, but I was really fascinated at how he had absolutely dialed in the tackle and the tactics for billfish. He studies it like a scientist. And he doesn't quit until he's figured it out. He's one of those that's an analytical thinker, but he also applies it to the reality. And it's just a beautiful thing to watch him work. And, and then he explains it to me on how it happened. And he could t- I call him the, the Jake Jordan lie story. I said, for, for 30 years, I've been trying to find you in a lie, but they all are true. I mean, once, once I find out what you did and let you fish with all these people, you know, around the world, and, and they're all true. So it's, it's amazing. You sound like, it sounds like they're make-believe exaggerations, but he's lived a full life and still living it, which I think is magnificent. Yeah, absolutely. And I know uh, another person, because I've talked to you about this before, that's been really important to you has been Flip Pallet. Yeah, um, I'd seen Flip, this is the 1990s, early thing. I'd seen it on TV, you know, and at the shows with a flat book company. And I, I was so intimidated to walk up to him and say, oh, hi, I watch you on TV. And with all the other thousand fly heads in the fly industry. <laughs> so when I received a call from the coordinator of Walker's K Chronicles to see if I had a November date available to join Flip in the Everglades for Snook, I almost fainted. I mean, I... And I found out later that Lefty had recommended me for the show. And so it was just a lucky draw. And uh, I, you know, flew into the 
the airport there, and they picked me up and took me to Everglades. I had the sound crew and the camera crew pick me up. And the whole time, I was so in awe of this man, who is a wonderful teddy bear. Um, he, I was speechless. I couldn't, for a week in the glades, I couldn't hardly speak. I spoke when I was spoken to. And the film crew chatted about, they all love to cook. I mean, Flip is an excellent outdoor. All these guys are outdoor wood cookers. And he had wood fires and recipes and, and they tried to include me in their banter, and, and they said, "Wanda, well, do you like to cook? Tell me about your cooking." I said, "I don't cook," uh, but I, I learned a lot about how other people live their lives. And since they're outdoorsmen and they're out, um, they enjoy cooking. Like that's the first time I met Rob Fordyce, who is the star of Voodoo Daddy now. Um, he was our camera guy, boat driver, and um, uh, watching him on on. Um, Instagram and stuff. They, these guys, when they harvest a turkey or a deer or you know whatever it may be, a hog, they're serving it and it's showing you how they serve it for their family, and that intrigues me. Um, so it was a pleasure to, to hang out there. But the fascinating thing with Flip, his demeanor is very calm, very humble. Um, you know, you wouldn't think he had things that kind of drove him a little bit crazy, but. We at night we were at the Flamingo Lodge, but before it was destroyed by Katrina and Wilma in 2005, and um, it, we we sat for dinner every evening. We had a crew table, and out in the middle of the dinner, Flip uh, asked the owner or the manager to come over and sit at our table. And I thought that was sweet. He wanted to introduce us all to the manager, and he looks at the guy, I mean, with beady eyes, and he says, "Why do you have hearts of palm salad on this menu?" And I didn't know at that time that they were harvesting native palms. And once you remove the heart of the palm, the native palms die. And I know now that they they're, they have their farm raised. They've got farms that's raising them. But because of people like Flip that spoke up about conservation, there were different a difference was made. And then he hits them again, like uh, about their swordfish on this menu. And he went off about. You know how things are dying, and because of people that harvest them and, and serving them, people are going to eat them, and then we won't have them anymore. So, unfortunately, it was years later when it actually happened. When the the swordfish is actually growing in numbers now because of people like Flip and others who are talking about you know releasing these valuable fish, and you know what what Lee Wolf started. Everybody else is understanding because of the things that happens in Everglades about all the real estate and the developments down there. It's just been horrible. So I learned that night from Flip, and actually, I asked him the other night what his real name was, and he told me. He said, wait a minute, I'll get back with you. I kind of forgot it. And he got back with me. He said, I think it's Philip Edwards. So Philip Edwards got back with me, <laughs> and he's made a difference in my life because he made me understand that Things happen if you don't speak up about it and you're not proactive about it with conservation or our land or our fisheries or the planet, it's going to just, we're going to destroy it. And so I was glad to know that Flip is an honorary trustee, trustee on the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust, as well as Huey Lewis and Steve Hub and Patagonia, Izzy Bon Chenard and Jack Nicholson, Lefty and Bill and Jones. This goes on forever, but I'm just really quite proud to call Flip one of my friends. Yeah, very neat. And, you know, so all of these people have kind of helped you develop as an angler and helped you become a better teacher. But, 
Have you always been wired to be a teacher or did you really have to work hard to learn how to teach? Well, I was a, I'm a born by nature and an encourager. And so it was kind of just part of my nature to share what I've gone through uh, as, as a beginner angler. And I encourage people like my t- teaching method is it used to be by the Orvis book. Uh, now it's each individual person is an individual. It's depending on the physical abilities, the mental abilities, the personality, their size. Um, it, you know, that's the way I approach it because I have, I have to first adapt a rod to that. And a type B, you know, needs a slower rod than a type A, like me. I'm a type A. Give me a broomstick, I'm happy. Uh, so once we match those two together, and and I, I'm telling more people now that I want you to fish not like Wanda Taylor, not like Flip Pallet, or not like Billy Pate. You'll have your own style of how you choose to fish. And if you're already a fisher or angler, like conventional tackle or just bait, uh, you know what fish are. All I have to do is show you how to get the fly there. And I'm going to teach you how to get it there. So you know what to do the rest. So they're just elated that they don't have to turn into some kind of mechanical person that just goes by the book. You know, like I can develop this and enjoy it the way I want to enjoy it. And I think it's the way it should be for all flying worse. And, and how long, you know, it sounds like that's been an evolution for you. How long did it take you to kind of get to that approach and kind of, you know, leave the, the manual for lack of a better word and to be able to sort of, um, almost take a more Zen approach to kind of teaching your students how to cast? Well, it probably took uh, 30 years. Uh, but, you know, all of it was so new to me and trying to digest, all, you know, all the all the entities going from fresh to salt and then to blue water. Uh, that's, you know, that's kind of work for me. And, and I, I'm so grateful to have all those opportunities to do that. But I guess I'm looking now at this point in my life is just, the people are the most important thing. It's not the ends or the means. It's just being out there and the enjoyment of it. So let's find a way for you. Maybe you're a veteran. You know, maybe you're a cancer survivor. Maybe, you know, let's just find a way for you to enjoy this sport. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, that really resonates with me because, I mean, I'm one of the reasons that I kind of do what I do and I've done some of the volunteer and teaching things as well is, you know, I know the peace that being on the water brings me and being outdoors. Um, and, and so if I'm able to help other people find that peace, yep. right. Um, yep. and, and for me, it's really the main thing that I do, you know, in my life that centers me that way. Yeah, me too. And, and I, it, I have more joy out of it. You know, I don't feel like a mechanical person. I'm, I'm seeking each person, even in a class of six or seven. You've got to analyze. They're all different, and you know, you've got to approach each of them differently because some are some are just natural, and some may never get it, but they want to still get out there and trail around and, and they're having a good time. So, who who am I to judge them? Yeah, it's interesting too because I can remember like having you know been able to watch Lefty do demos and teach that that was a big pain, and also reading his his books, being that he was really um, a big proponent of basically there are all different types of body types and styles, and so there can't just be one way to cast. Absolutely. Yeah. All those styles. I mean, all those. There's, there's Craiger. There's you know Wolf. There's Lefty. There's Ray Jeff. They're all different, but they find a way with their body personality to make it work and they're champions yeah and i guess that's my point there's just no one way to make 
it, it puts the body in a box. There's no box. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I also know, you know, Wanda, that in addition to doing, I guess, what I would call traditional casting instruction, you're also an educational guide. And, you know, that's not just like, hey, I want to go fish the Hawassi. Let's go book Wanda Taylor. (laughs) Right. It's there's it's a it's a different game. Um, And I was wondering if you could kind of share with our listeners what that means. Sure. Yeah. Well, once I interviewed, you know, the, the person that's hired me to teach them to cast. And I see what their goal, end goal is. And I say, okay, this is the phases that we've got to go through. First, we've got to teach you to get it out there. And it's made, most of them are already, they love to fish. So that's two points right there. So then I say, we're going to start on, on a lake. I'm teaching you how to get it out there. And we'll probably hook a few bass and brim, how to handle the fish, how to retrieve, you know, your line, get all that going on. But if you're going on to trout, then we need to then have the next session on moving water. That's when I take them to my drift boat or to a river, and I don't do anything for them. We have a conversation the entire time that we're together. They tie their own knots. They learn how to mend line. They learn where to place the, the fly and why it's through those conversations. And so their goal, most of the time, is just to be an independent angler without a guide and, and feel confident in what they're doing. So that's what I do. Um, and it's it's a wonderful thing. This past week, I've been doing a couple of guys. Well, I had four guys actually. Two were going bonefish, three were going tarpon fishing. And they were coming from trout to tarpon or trout to bonefish. And I beat them like a like I was their coach in a football team. You know, it's like you guys, you you know, you've only got two weeks to do this. We got to get with it. So they went from trout set, you know, to a saltwater strip strike. And how to do a speed cast and get that fly out there really fast and how to look for the fish and how to listen to your guide and shut up. And, you know, it's, and now I get photos from all over the place of these big fish and these happy smiles. And I feel like they're my kids. Yeah, it's really neat. It's funny, like those tricks you have to learn, particularly in salt water about, you know, making sure that, you know, your 11 o'clock is the guide's 11 o'clock and his yeah, yeah what's the clock right <laughs> or yeah or you know you make sure that your 50 feet is his 50 feet and all that kind of good stuff exactly the first time i tarpon fished with jake i didn't know about the clock and he kept yelling at me about the clock and i said where the hell is the clock Jake? can't you just say left or right and he just cracked up he said oh this is gonna be a great day <laughs> <laughs> yeah or, or you, or you, or you know about the clock, but your guide is on a clock on the platform, and you're at a, you're on a clock in the bow of the boat. That's another absolutely, one. absolutely. So I said, just take your pole and point. I got it. As long as you point, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you have to figure out a communication with you know the people who are doing that. The funniest, the funniest ones was, you know, I did some Blackfish TV shows down in the Bahamas, and my guide would say, Miss Wanda, you need more string. You need more string. And I'm going, what? <laughs> you need to catch a little bit farther <laughs> and then we need a translator but i got it i finally got it <laughs> yeah it's funny too and, and i guess you know one thing and this is a super broad question but you know uh, you, you know what if you could only give someone one piece of advice to become a better caster kind of regardless of you know whether they're fishing salt or trout or warm water what would it be Hire a certified instructor and don't waste your time trying to do it by yourself. I mean, you'll get, you, I can take one person individually, privately, warp speed, 
further than if I do a group of people that has all these different issues. So it's, it's worth whatever they they want an hour for you to spend that for once a month or whatever it takes to take you personally forward. And and then I turn and listen to the guide. It's like, all right, you're to the place where it's time for you to hire a guide and apply all the stuff that we're learning and fish for the rest of your life and have a wonderful time. Yeah, and for for our listeners that aren't familiar, when you're talking about being certified, you're really talking about the the FFF, or I guess it's not the we, FFF anymore, yeah, right? Now, yeah, now it's the International uh, Fly Fishers, I think is what they call it, the IFF. Um, but you know, talk to people about what that certification process is and where they can find certified instructors if they're not close yeah. enough to drive to you. Right. Well, the youth go. In fact, I do this all the time. I have. I have people saying, I want, I wish we were closer together and I ask them where they are or, you know, text message, whatever. And I said, just go online to the International Fly Fishers uh, website and type in certified instructors, whether you want just a certified a CI, what they call it, CI, certified instructor or a master certified instructor, which I am. And there's a bunch of them everywhere. Uh, and click on that and it'll give all in your area or your state that are certified to teach you in a formal way that they've been taught how to translate verbally as well as uh, showing you how to do the cast and also to take you further wherever you want to go with it. And that way you're not getting to some show that knows how to do it but can't tell you how to do it. And that's the difference. Yeah, and then there's also, right, if you get the two-handed bug, they have people that are certified to teach that as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you do spay or double spay. There's anywhere in the world you want to learn how to fish. We've got it on that international website. Yeah. And I think too, if I remember correctly for people that want to go and become an instructor, um, I think that database will also tell you whether those certified instructors are willing to mentor, uh, people are qualified, qualified to mentor. Yeah. So they now have it at at an elevated level, which is really good. Um, you know, those who are qualified to mentor and those who are certified. So there's a different level. And, I mean, in the earlier years, there were so few of us that after you were certified as a, a master that you could um, do, take people through the program like Joan did with, did with me, that she was on the board. Um, and we did that for a few years. And then we found out that some of those, not myself, but were lenient to friends. Yeah. And we're certifying people that should never be certified. So they kind of corrected that issue. And it's, it's been a, done in a really wonderful way. And now they try to have them at fly fishing events and conventions and things which we've not been able to do for two years. <laughs> but I think they're going to kick back up soon. I hope we can all be together. And uh, and so you can kind of find a place and a date to, to train for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, speaking about traveling, um, I saw your Instagram feed. I don't know. It's been within the last week and it looks like uh, you're getting ready to head across the country for 70 days of fishing and you've got a camper to go on the roof of your car and everything. I do. I'm so excited about it. It's something I've dreamed of for years, but I've been so blessed to travel the entire world fishing, but I've never really done across America. Uh, I've done the Southeast, I've done some in the West, I've done some in the you know, on the California coast, but there's places I've never been like Michigan. I mean, I've missed all those great lakes and all that possible historical waters in Wisconsin, you know, and Minnesota. 
I'm going to skip South Dakota, North Dakota, because I lived there for a while, and there is no water. Uh, then we'll travel to Montana and Wyoming, Idaho, Oregon, North North Northern California, and then bring my way back to Utah, Colorado, and back into the southeast is my hope. If I can do it in 70 days, great. And if I can't, I guess I'm going to be going for 90 or 100. But we'll see. Well, that's neat. And so it sounds like you've got a, a kind of a nice kind of counterclockwise loop um, already kind of planned out around the country. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to. I'll, I have so, like you said, yeah, I had so many wonderful professional friends, guide friends, advisory staff friends that say, make us on your tour or, I'm, you know, come. So we're trying to work out their schedule and my schedule and hopefully I can do that because just to get to hang with, you know, your peeps that you adore and see their water and having to show you their water is such a intimate thing. And that's what I'm going to enjoy more than anything. So that's what I hope to share on Instagram and Facebook with you guys, that this is awesome. And if you get an opportunity, come and do it. I'm sorry I waited so late, you know, to do it now. I wish I'd done it when I was 18, but I didn't know. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know until you don't know. Now you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, it's not, you know, it's also, um, you know, I've been lucky to, to travel to fish. And I mean, and it's... um you know, fishy people are the same, but they're also very different. The places they fish are different too. And so that whole thing makes it super neat. Yes. Every body of water, I don't care what river it is or lake or ocean, it fishes differently. And so, uh, you know, I kind of message to some of the guys that's going to fish with in Michigan today. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, listen, this is your water. I want to learn how to fish it. I've never been there before. If you come to my water, it's going to be totally different. So you just, whatever you decide to do, that's what we want to do. They went, cool. We got it. Yeah, very neat. Yeah, well, you know, folks, you'll have to, you know, keep an eye on um, on Wanda's. I assume you're going to probably put post all that stuff on Instagram. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I am. Yeah. So watch that. And so t- tell people about your rig because it's kind of a neat setup. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's called an eye camper with a K, A-M-P-E-R. And um, it goes on top of your car. It's, it folds down as flat as a surfboard. And when you get to your destination, you release a couple of hinges and it just pops up. I've got the uh, iKeeper 2, and it, it's about the size of a king-size bed in there. And um, everything's waterproof, windproof, up to 40-mile-an-hour wind. Uh, you have a ladder that you climb up and down. Um, I've got a porta potty outside with a – it's got a little – uh, it looks like a throw-out tent. Actually, it's a little green tent that's over it for privacy and a solar shower. And um, Yeti, I hope, is going to accept me to their pro, their pro staff so I can get a couple of Yetis to keep my eyes cold, um, you know, for days. And I'm just going to travel from spot to spot whenever it kind of works out to, to fish and, and be independent. But if I have the opportunity to stay in a real campground that has showers and toilets and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about that as well. But I'm preparing for the worst, so I'm still okay. And um, I'm excited. I wish it was today, but I'm not leaving until the July. July and August is my, my focus months, and maybe into September. I'm getting survived from a couple of people day from Montana telling me, you need to stay into September. It's awesome. It is awesome. That's when I go out every year. I would do it. Yeah, I said, I'm flexible. I'm, you know, I don't have to be back until November when I'm going to do um, 
striper fishing up around the Statue of Liberty, and then Thanksgiving, I'm doing redfish in Louisiana, and then it's Christmas, and I'm coming home. But, um, you know, I, I just, I know it's going to be a happening. Not everything's going to be as we planned, but uh, you just start the journey and see where it takes you. Well, you know, what you could do, too, to fish out, uh, like in Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho later is, uh, you know, IFTD is in Salt Lake City in October. Uh, yeah, I know that with all the other anglers. Yeah, yeah, but... I love you. Uh, I love you. <laughs> oh, but just, just to pop in and visit, I you know, not to oh, fish, yeah. right? Yeah. I want to make it a tax write-off for me, too. That would be cool. See, there you go. Um, <laughs> that's the way to do it. And, and so uh, before I let you hop, Wanda, why don't you let folks know where they can find you and follow you on social media so, you know, one, you know, they can come and fish with you, take a lesson from you. Um, I know you're really good about putting your uh, speaker schedule up there and that's going to start up again. And then also, you know, people want to be able to follow you uh, when you're on this great trip. Yeah. So on Facebook, it's Wanda Hair Taylor. Um, on Instagram, it's um, the South First Lady of Fly Fishing. But you can go on to my website, which is WandaTaylorFlyFishing.com. And it'll give you all that information, and you can message me or contact me at any time. And, you know, even along the road, hopefully when I have Wi-Fi, I can get back with you and kind of keep you abreast of what's happening in that region. If you got any pointers to give me, I'll take them. Well, there you go, and I'll drop all that stuff in the show notes. And, Wanda, I really appreciate you uh, carving some time out for me this evening. Well, it's been fun, Marvin, and I hope that uh, on your fishing pleasures across the nation, you'll let me know where you are because I might drop in on you too. Well, there you go. Well, listen, have a great <laughs> evening, Wanda. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody.